0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing.
1: Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 13, 51 through 58. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Have you understand, understood all these things? They answered him, yes. Therefore he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Good morning. My name is Robert, one of the pastors here at Sojourn. I'm grateful to have this time with you. And um, I just love the worship songs that we had this morning. Um, I wish we could just stay there all all day long. Well, how many of you played dominoes when you were growing up? A few of you. Now, I'm not talking about the right way of playing dominoes where you're matching up the numbers to one another. I'm talking about setting up the dominoes one to another and letting them fall down, right? All right, well, enjoy this video, and while you watch this video, look to see if you see somebody you recognize, okay? Go ahead. Could that be Jesus? (laughs) I don't know, maybe. Yeah, that was really fun, right? That was really fun to watch, and it's always fun to watch everything line up as you plan. But unfortunately, reality doesn't always go the way you plan, right? And so, therefore, when the dominoes fall in our lives, it's really not fun. And oftentimes, it hurts, and it's confusing, and it causes us to question everything, including question God. But Jesus, the good news is that Jesus knows that in this world we have trouble. So therefore, he has his own set of dominoes. He says, put your faith in me, and as you do, you can know who I am through my word. And as you do so, you can honor me with your heart and with your life. So we're just going to keep that domino theme in mind as we go through. But let me just give us a quick overview of Matthew 13. Matthew 13 has included a lot of parables in which Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven um, because it's about him and it's about the fact that he has ushered in the kingdom. And all throughout the Gospels, he's saying things like, The kingdom of heaven has come near, has come upon you, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is where Jesus rules and reigns. And so the kingdom of God is just not this expanse that's impersonal, but it includes Christ and our relationship with him. But also Jesus describes the kingdom in terms of starting small and often is hidden, and that's why he uses the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. But with those two illustrations, the growth is guaranteed, And also, the growth is inevitable. But the other thing that we saw throughout the parables is the people's response. The crowds didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And so, as a result, they were discouraged, and they actually pulled away. But the disciples were given understanding. They were given the, the hidden meanings of the parables, and they began to draw near. And over time, we began to see how there was a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. You know, our vision statement is filling up the city with gritty disciple makers. But here's the thing for us to consider as we sit through um, this passage today. We cannot be gritty disciple makers unless we are gritty disciples ourselves. So let's keep that in mind as we make our way through Matthew 13. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you are the one who knows all things, and you know every day in our lives before we're even born. And Lord, you have chosen us to love us, to reveal yourself to us, to to be with us by your Spirit, to bring us into an intimate relationship with you through Christ. So Father, I pray that you would bless this time, You you would allow your word, your living word to be understood, to be encouraging, to be challenging. And Lord, we pray most of all that you would be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus begins with a question and then offers another parable. So have you understood all these things, Jesus asks. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So Jesus asked his disciples, do you understand these things? It's important for disciples of Jesus to know Jesus and to understand the things of Jesus. But notice he goes on to ask or tells them that they're going to go and start teaching the things from the old and the new. So why does Jesus make this distinction and emphasizing the old and the new? Well, because the the treasures from the Old Testament and the treasures of the New Testament are all part of the kingdom of God. And one thing that we need to remember is that the old points to the new. But here's the thing that we often forget, and we can put a false dichotomy between the two. The God of the old is the same God of the new. Okay, so we need to remember that as we can misinterpret who God is. But the crowd didn't understand. They didn't understand despite the great teaching and the great miracles. The crowd didn't understand these things because they lacked faith. But also Jesus was speaking a parable, but mainly because they lacked faith. And as we saw in the parable of the soils, their hearts were hardened. It was like the seed dropping on the path. And what happened when they didn't understand the word? the enemy came and swooped up and picked up the the word of God. But also they had a shallow understanding that could not withstand the heat that comes from the pressures of life or the persecution because of the word. But lastly, we saw that their hearts were divided because of the worries of life as well as the deceitfulness of the wealth of life. But the crowd took offense and despised Jesus You know, the reports of Jesus' wisdom and his miraculous powers preceded him so that everybody in his hometown already heard about it. So Jesus began teaching in his hometown synagogue, but what was their reaction? And the passage is pretty straightforward. They dismissed him because they were way too familiar with who he is. They said, isn't that his father? Isn't that his mother? We know his brothers and his sisters, Certainly, nothing extraordinary can come from such ordinary beginnings. But the crowd also was offended by him. When that says they were offended by him, what it really means is that they did not believe in him. And when Jesus says, a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, that word for not honored can be understood as they despised him. Similar to what it's how it was used in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquitted, acquainted with deepest grief, we turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we did not care. So that despise was pretty, pretty bad, right? The crowd didn't understand the kingdom of heaven and they dishonored and despised Jesus because they lacked faith or they had unbelief. And Jesus finishes the, um, the, the, this chapter by, by being reported that he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It's really interesting and important to note that Matthew writes, he did not do many miracles. He did some miracles, but he did not do many miracles because of the crowd's unbelief. But this is something very important that I want you to hear clearly. The crowd's unbelief did not limit Jesus' power. But Jesus chose to limit his power because of their unbelief. That not only applies to the crowd, but it applies to us as well. So Matthew 13 ends with Jesus pointing out the crowd's lack of faith. But this is where we will begin to understand how we can be gritty disciples. So if you want to be a gritty disciple, first put your faith in Jesus. Sounds pretty simple, right? Okay. It's it's not really, but we'll talk more about that. If Jesus made a big deal about unbelief, then having belief or faith must be a big deal. So what is faith? Faith is defined in Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is also described in, through the life of Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So here's the definition of faith that's in your bulletin. Faith is confidence in who Jesus is and conviction that he has the power to do what he promised. Straightforward, grabbing from Hebrews 11 and Romans 4. But why is faith important? Because faith in Christ leads to salvation in Christ. Romans. 9-10 9-10 says if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead we shall be saved Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God so why do we struggle with unbelief even though as Christians we have put our faith in him every Christian every Christian I don't care who you are or how long you be a you've been a christian we all struggle with unbelief but i want you to hear this very clearly as one of your pastors your unbelief does not mean that you're not a christian because every christian struggles with unbelief however i want you to know and it's important to know that unbelief is the result of evil so let me explain this taking you through god's story really quick at the very beginning, when God created the first man and woman, he created them to believe in him. He created them to believe that he's God, that he's real, that he's near, that he cares for them, that he loves them, that he speaks to, speak to them through his word, and that he can comfort them. But what happens with the fall? The first man and woman ends up disobeying God. They didn't believe his word. They weren't confident who God was, and they did not have the conviction that he had the power to do what he promised. So what did they do? They disobeyed him, right? And so, early on in our marriage, um, I was driving Karen's car to work, and I was really proud of it. She was prouder because she bought that car with her own money when she was a teenager. So I'm driving the car, but I noticed, didn't pay much attention, but I noticed this little symbol on my dashboard. And for, for me, I just said, oh, it's like a genie bottle. It looks kind of pretty. It's kind of cute. That, that's, that, in my mind, that's what I saw, right? But then the car started smoking, and the car started slowing down, and then the car stopped, and this is what I saw. <laughs> What's that symbol? Low oil light. I saw that light, but I didn't interpret that light rightly. In my mind, it was a genie bottle. It looked pretty. How cute. Who came up with that design? But when, I, when my car stopped on the highway, I go, oh, man, I should have listened. I should have paid more attention. I should have known that that red light was important. But we need to see our unbelief as a red warning light. We just can't be aware of that light But we also have to take action to address that red warning light. Okay, please hear this clearly. Even though unbelief is common, unbelief is not harmless. Unbelief impacts our heart and our souls in a similar way as low oil impacts our engine. We can, as Christians, kind of go, oh, I just, I'm struggling believing. You know, I, I'll get there. But please know that even though unbelief is common, it's not harmless. So let me explain why. First, unbelief is sin. Jesus says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Think about the garden again. God created us to believe in him. But evil keeps us from believing in him, and Jesus says that's sin. But unbelief keeps us in darkness. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. When you and I are struggling to trust God, sometimes it feels like we're in darkness, right? When we are clouded with doubt and confusion, we may struggle to know what's true what is not true, what to believe, what not to believe. We can be in deep darkness. Proverbs 4, 19 tells us that when we are not following Christ because of our unbelief, we are in deep darkness and we do not know what makes us stumble. Unbelief keeps us from knowing Christ and from experiencing his love. When we, when we are not confident in who Jesus is, what do we tend to do? we tend to pull away, right? We tend not to really care about what he's saying, or we think that he's pulled away from us. We don't feel anything from him. We don't know, we question his love for us, so as a direct result, we don't draw near to him. And then, therefore, we will not experience his love. Unbelief leads us to being unfaithful to God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You know, as the passage continues, it gives a a dire warning against those who never believe, and they will be forever judged. But for us as Christians, we can turn our backs on God And we turn our backs on God whenever we sin, but by the grace of God, the Spirit of God convicts us and draws us back to himself, and we, we come back to God. But unbelief wants to keep us turned away from the living God. Your struggle with faith is a personal struggle, but it's not a private struggle, and let me tell you why. Our personal struggle with unbelief is right in the middle of two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of evil. Satan schemes to fill you with unbelief. Satan wants to drain your faith as he deceives you and tells you lies that you and I can believe. He seeks to discourage you and I that even though we may be seeking Christ, the relentless trials and tribulations that our circumstances never changes causes us to doubt God. God. But also, Satan tries to distract us so that we don't even think about God or we don't feel anything from God or we don't desire anything about God. And Satan wants us also to be divided from the most important relationship that we have, and that's with him. But also with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with your family members, anybody and everybody who can and want to point you to Christ. But in our despair and in our unbelief, we can pull away from everybody who wants to encourage us in Christ. So that's why we need the armor of God. Ephesians 6 says, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need faith in order to repel the darts of the enemy. If you don't believe that the enemy's after you, then you're living in fantasy. Enemy does not want to be glorified. Uh, the enemy does not want to, um, for you to know and believe in God. He doesn't want you to glorify God through your life, so he is after all of us. So take a look at the definition of faith as I just ask you, where might you like faith? if you're struggling with worry and anxiety? Where might you like faith in your sorrow and your grief, in your loneliness, in your sexual struggles, in your broken relationships, maybe even in your shame? Are you confident in the midst of your reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and are you have full conviction that he has the power to do what he has promised. You may be thinking, well I lack faith. I'm weary and I feel like giving up. I can't battle this anymore. Well the question that you and I need to be asking in the midst of our weariness is how does Jesus make a difference? And as a pastor, I walk alongside of people all the time wrestling with this very thing because As Christians, we believe that Jesus makes a difference in the past, he saved us, and then we also think that Jesus makes a difference in the future where we will live with him forever in heaven. But the biggest quandary that we have as Christians is, how does Jesus help me now? Well, let me tell you, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus is the source of our faith. If you lack faith, Jesus with whom you are in relationship with, you are in an intimate relationship with Jesus, he is the source of your faith. The passage continues to say that not only is he your source of faith, but he's the perfecter of your faith. So who do you need to cry out to in the midst of your unbelief? Jesus. Right answer, right? Because he is the only one who can make your faith stronger and deeper. You know, each week as a pastor, we have the privilege of seeing and hearing how God is overcoming unbelief with belief, from uh, faith in Christ. And when we run Restore on a regular basis throughout the year, we we often have what we call celebrations where we get to hear testimonies of how, how God works in people's lives. And one of the things that I'm most blessed by, and through the testimonies, are to hear common themes of these testimonies. And when I say them, you may be tempted to say, that's nothing big. That's nothing big, right? But it's huge, and here they are. This is what I hear each and every time. God is real. God is near. God loves me. God speaks to me through his word. God comforts me, and I need God's people because I can't live by myself. Does that sound like creation, how we were created to live and to believe? Absolutely. So that's why it's huge. So God's invitation for you is to cry out to him, I believe but help my unbelief. He's inviting you to trust me, put your faith in me. You need me. Don't trust in your own understanding. Don't trust in your feelings, but trust me instead. And he's also encouraging you to help others around you to put their faith in Christ. But if you want to be a gritty disciple, you also need to know Jesus through his word. And I'll explain that. So why does does Jesus ask his disciples, do you understand these things? Well, he wants to make sure they know who he is and that he, they understand what he teaches. Why is that? Because Jesus is the object of our faith. We put our faith in Jesus, so we better know who he is. But also, he is the one who ushers in the kingdom of heaven. But also, knowing Jesus is at the very center of the gospel and at the very center of eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. When I saw that passage for the first time with new eyes, I got really excited. Why? Because I was told by God that eternal life is not a destination. Eternal life is a reality that I can enjoy now here in the midst of my realities through my relationship with Christ. Right? So don't think of eternal life as something that you will experience. Eternal life is something you are experiencing now if you're paying attention. Through faith as you draw near to Christ through His Word. But why do we need to know Jesus through His Word? Can I just say, hey, I love Jesus? Well, here are some really straightforward reasons. Jesus is the Word. John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The words of Jesus are life. Jesus declares in John six sixty three, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And God's Word points to Jesus from beginning to end. You know as pastors we recognize that it can be hard to get anything out of the Bible and that assumes that we even pick up the Bible we have to open the Bible and then we have to read the Bible right we can be quicker to read a daily devotion or simply buy a bible study or listen to a podcast before picking up opening and reading God's word and we might have some good reason for that we may lack confidence We may lack confidence to read the scriptures. We may not know where to start. We may not understand what we read on our own. But when I became a Christian at 28 years old, uh, one of my pastors gave me the advice to get a reading plan because he said that if you left it up to yourself to know what to read, you'll just read the same thing over and over again. And so I got a reading plan. I've been sticking with that reading plan since 28 years old, and I'm getting ready to turn 60 this year. And so um, I'm just a creature of habit. At the very beginning of my Christian life, it would take me a year to a year and a half to read the scriptures, and now it's taking me about two to two and a half years to read it. And I don't know if that's because of old age or because I'm just sitting in it longer. Uh, I'm not sure. But I used to cringe when I got to certain parts of the Bible, especially those boring parts that had the names and the places that I couldn't pronounce. But then I would get the passages like Psalm 119, i go, oh my goodness, it's so lofty. It's so unlike my thinking and so unlike my desires. And so I would just kind of breeze through it because it seems so repetitive. But as I got older, Psalm 119 became a gift to me. And I want you to know that it's God's gift to you as well. Because Psalm 119 can be be considered like a Reader's Digest for those of you who don't know what that is, like Cliff Notes for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, just a summary. A summary of the benefits and the blessings of knowing God's Word and obeying God's Word. Here's the other challenge. We can, when we pick up the Bible, even though we can read the Scriptures and we can say, oh, I love this. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me and speaking to me. But as soon as we close the Bible, we start living life over here. And then we have what is described as the head-heart disconnect. Okay? Or you can worship God with all your heart while we're here on a Sunday, but then as soon as you walk out the door, head to lunch, and get to your home, reality hits. And you go, why is there a difference between what I read or worship and versus how I live? And that's the head-heart disconnect. And one of the ways in which we try to minimize that head-heart disconnect is um, by doing a simple act. And here it is in a simple phrase. Before you open the Word of God... Open your heart to God. So what you're doing, before I open the Word of God, I want to say, Lord, what is pressing in my heart right now? And I want you, as I'm describing this, I want you to be thinking with me, what reality is most pressing or persistent or pain for you? painful for you right now? In this reality, where am I placing my hope? What am I looking for? And then with those questions and with those realities, hold that out before the Lord as you read the word and allow God to speak into your reality. And I guarantee you, he will. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. I'm going to pause for just like 15 seconds. And I want you to think, what's my reality right now? What is really going on in my life? and, And where am I placing my hope? take 15 seconds allow me to read the word over you the unfolding of your words give light it gives understanding to the simple you know god's word gives understanding your word lord is eternal It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. God's word is incomparable. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. God's word is life giving. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. God's word gives hope in the midst of our afflictions and our sufferings. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word changes us. I have, those, I have a sampling of those in parentheses under each line, so, because what I want you to do in this coming week, I want you to take the time to read through Psalm 119. And if you just take eight verses a day, you can read through the entire psalm in 26 days. It's a long one. But don't allow the repetition and don't allow the lofty thoughts or desires expressed by the psalmist to put you off But that's God's heart for you, and that when you put your faith in in Christ and when you draw near to him through his word, he will start to change your thoughts and your desires. But because of our unbelief, we tend to be underwhelmed by Jesus and his words while at the same time being overwhelmed by life. I'm going to say that again because it's worth hearing again. Our tendency because of our unbelief causes us to be underwhelmed by Jesus and his word while at the same time being overwhelmed by life. And God says, I am much bigger than your reality. I can handle everything and anything that is in your life. And So what we want you to do as well is take the time to read the scriptures. You're going to be receiving in your weekly email this week reading plans that you can choose from. Get started this week so that you can start to enjoy the love of God and the presence of God and the comfort of God through reading his word. But remember the crowd was amazed by the teachings of God? So here's the question for all of us. What passage amazes you about God's wisdom in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your doubts? What passages amaze you about his miraculous power, especially when you're struggling with your brokenness or with your weakness? What are some of your life verses that you can point to that it's like a spiritual marker that God met you in the moment of greatest pain through these verses. And here's the follow-up question. When was the last time you shared any of these life verses with somebody else who was in need? God gives to us not so that we can keep it to ourselves, but so that we can give it away. We first have to be a gritty disciple before we can be a disciple-maker. But you may be thinking, I'm not smart enough. I struggle to understand or to remember. Well, none of us can understand apart from Christ. So how does Jesus make a difference? First, I'm glad you asked. Jesus is the word. And his spirit is the spirit of truth. And that's the perfect combo between the word of God and the spirit of God coming together. He can make any one of his people understand and believe and to experience his word. So here's the invitation. Draw near to Jesus through his word. Trust that the spirit of truth will give you understanding of God's heart. Know and experience God's love and peace and joy as you abide with him. But lastly, if you want to be a gritty disciple, you need to honor Jesus with your heart and your life. Remember that the people in Jesus' hometown dismissed him because they were too familiar with his human origins. They knew his family lineage. But it's not just the crowd who dismissed him because he was too familiar. Can you think of a time when you dismiss Jesus because he's too familiar? You might say, oh, Jesus, I know that's the right answer. And, and when you say that, you're rolling your eyes. Or when somebody offers you a passage, you might say, oh, I've heard that before. Tell me something new. Tell me something that I don't know, right? And so we can be guilty of the same thing, but let's take it one step further. We can diminish or dismiss Jesus' deity by saying, well, I I know that he was tempted, but he was God. That temptation was easy for him. Or, I know he suffered, I know he died, but he knew he was going to be raised. But I want to suggest to you that he bore the full weight of temptation and suffering and death in ways that we could not imagine, even though he was God. Remember, the crowd also did not honor Jesus. They despised him. We can do the same thing. Every time we sin, let me explain. When the prophet Nathan confronted King David after his adultery, which was was actual sexual assault, and also murdered her husband, Nathan says, David, in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, write that down, 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. He says, David, why did you despise the word of the Lord and do evil in his sight? Every time you and I sin against the Lord and against someone else, we are despising Jesus and his word. And so we're not much different from the crowd other than the fact that Jesus had mercy on us and saved us by his grace, right? So remember the domino chain, the domino chain reaction. They lacked faith. They did not understand these things, so therefore they did not know Jesus, especially the words that he spoke and therefore, they dishonored him, and they despised him. If you fail to put your faith in Jesus, you will fail to honor him. But here's the key to honoring Christ with our hearts and with our lives. And it's really simple, and don't roll your eyes. It's the love of Christ. Any, any eye rolls? Okay. Ephesians 3, in Paul's prayer, it says that in Christ, we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And Paul prays, which is God's heart, he prays, I want you to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Christ in such a way that it surpasses knowledge. I'd like to paraphrase it. It leaves you speechless because you are so overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Well, you know, trees have roots, And trees need roots in order for trees to grow, right? You can't have a living tree without roots. But it's really interesting that in dry seasons, the roots of the tree actually grow deeper because it's trying to find nutrients and water. Think about that. In dry seasons, trees grow their roots deeper into the soil and why why do trees grow deep roots because they can withstand great storms so how does that apply to us what is your tendency in the storms of life what's your tendencies in the dry seasons of your life do you tend to sink your roots deep into the love of Christ by putting your faith in him and drawing near to him through his word or do you, Or does your unbelief do just the opposite and roll you back this way? God knows exactly what we need. He knows we have trouble. And Jesus even says, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, John 16, So he says, sink your roots deep into my love whenever you're filled with doubt. Whenever the storms are washing you away, and when the darkness is covering you. But why does God root us and ground us in the love of Christ and he wants us to experience the expanse of his love? Look at this next verse, very important. 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ compels us so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. Here's saying it simply. When we're overwhelmed by the love of Christ, We live for God, and not for ourselves. Let's look at one more verse, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So let me do the domino, Jesus style, okay? So Jesus loves us, so he died for us and then gave us his faith, since he's the source and perfecter of our faith. When we have faith in Jesus, we draw near to Jesus to know him through his word. And when we know him through his word, we start to experience and know his love. And then as life pounds us and we begin to sink our roots deep into the love of Christ, we begin to get more and more overwhelmed and just compelled by the love of Christ in such a way that we obey his commandments. And as we obey his commandments as a full circle, we abide in his love. Isn't that beautiful? That God wants you and me to know his love, to experience his love, to put our roots deep into his love so that we might enjoy his love. So take a moment and and think about how you're not honoring God with your heart or your life. How is Jesus calling you to confess and repent and turn back to him in faith and obedience. Who might Jesus be calling you to love or to forgive? Write down the name of someone who he might be placing on your heart, who you really need to encourage them in the faith in Christ, so that they might be able to know and experience the love of Christ. So don't despair as you reflect on all the ways that you dishonor God. All of us do. It's called sin. But how does Jesus make a difference now? Well, Jesus is the only one who perfectly honored God through his life on earth. And because of his death and resurrection, we have the ability to live life fully and freely with hope because of him and not because of us. So God's invitation is to hear God's word and to live out God's word, to abide in the love of Christ by keeping his commands and loving one another and encouraging one another to love and good deeds. And so it's really interesting, before Jesus' death, there were some questions as to whether his mother really believed in him because she was really concerned about him, thought he might have been gone crazy, and she was part of the hometown that might have been offended by him. But it said that when he was killed and resurrected and the tomb was empty, she believed. And so each week we celebrate communion, which helps us to remember of who Jesus is and what he's done And his body was broken and his blood was shed so that he might overcome our unbelief through faith in him so that we can live differently. Jesus despised the shame of his own hometown and and he despised the shame of the cross so that we can have faith in him, so that we can know him through his word and so that we can also honor him with our lives. But before you receive communion, take the time to confess your unbelief. Take the time to confess your struggles of how you might know him and understand him through his word, especially if you haven't taken reading his word or drawing near to him through his word seriously. And confess the ways that you've dishonored him in your heart and your life. Don't take communion before confessing these things to him. But then repent because God forgives abundantly. He's going to keep you. He's not going to let your sin separate you from his love unless you never turn back to him. But turn back to him in your promised forgiveness. If you're not a Christian, take the time to consider the love of Christ and whether or not it seems um, appealing to you. If you have questions, talk to somebody around you because we hope and pray that you would put your faith in Christ and that you would come to know Jesus. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com Midtown.